This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Austin Matthews, goals number 50 and 51. He'll probably brag about 50 and laugh about 51 and how it was scored. How do you not? But nonetheless, watching something special before our eyes right now in the NHL. The fastest American to get to 50. Congratulations to Austin Matthews. Plenty on him coming up in the next couple of hours. Uh, Elliot Friedman stops by in a couple of moments. Corey Lavalette will talk to us about the Carolina Hurricanes. Darren Pang on trade deadline and the Chicago Blackhawks. And Cassidy Preston. Cassidy Preston is the uh, author, Dr. Cassidy Preston, a mental performance coach, uh, is the author of a book called Mindset First. And I've read a lot of these, and this is one of, if not maybe the best one that I've read. Uh, Break free from the weight of results, play with confidence, and perform when it matters most. And you know why I like this book maybe more than others of the same theme? He talks about not setting goals. And how setting goals is actually an unhealthy thing to do. Uh, We'll get into that in a couple of moments. In the meantime, we'll welcome back to the program because he's been everywhere, all over various time slots, up and down the dial. The returning Matt Marchese. How are you, Maddie? I'm good. Uh, Yeah, I've definitely been. I've been everywhere. The Johnny Cash song. Yeah, that's me right now. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's good, man. It's good. Every every time I flip on the radio, you're on. uh, I swear, like, every time... Every time a light turns on, you appear. I open my fridge. You jump out. I put bread in the toaster. I popped up. It was you. I'm like, you're just appearing suddenly out of everywhere, Matt Marchese. That's me. That's me everywhere, man. Yeah. Okay, so 50 and 51 for Austin Matthews yesterday. But you know what I want to get your thoughts on before I bring Fridge aboard? Sure. Louis and Jake DeBrusque last night. I think we have this clip standing by for those that may not be familiar. Of course, Louis DeBrusque, uh, former NHLer, father of, I mean, that's that's the most important part of his business card, as he'll tell you, hockey dad, Louis DeBrusque. Uh, you know, uh, analyst for the Edmonton Oilers are playing the Boston Bruins last night, so there's inevitable, you know, interplay between his son Jake and Louis, and they're at the boards doing the interview, and, well, I'll let the audio speak for itself here. Here's uh, Louis and Jake the Bruins-Edmonton game last night. You chirped me last time, but I'm going to go off the page a little bit here. When you were young, you and Jordan made us really nice gifts when you were youngsters. And one of them, you made... Oh, the golden tickets. And you know what? I looked over this whole coupon, and it doesn't have an expiry date. So I'm cashing it in tonight, kiddo. A goal (laughs) assist for 30 push-ups right here. I don't know if I can do that right now, but I'll keep that in mind. Appreciate that. All right, love you, kiddo. Have a good one, all right? Okay, so that was awesome. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, and yes, Jake DeBrusque uh, did score a goal, uh, got an assist as well, which was wonderful. <laughs> Quick thought on that, Maddie. Before we get to before we get to Elliot here, I just love it. I, I like when when people don't take things too seriously. Sometimes Jeff, because sometimes people in this business, oh, yeah, yeah it's just you know sometimes you're allowed to have fun, and I love the banter between Louis and Jake, and and I just Louis one of my favorite Great. people in this business to have on and uh, he's he's great um but just hearing that and and seeing that last night um i love how much louis loves being a hockey dad like that to me is the best part and you and you framed it you know number one on the business card is hockey dad and you can absolutely see it there i love it and the fact that he gave him the ticket and he went out and did it last night is even better it's awesome Mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely. It was a, a wonderful night. And if I can draw a couple of things together, when Louis was in Arizona with the Coyotes, uh, his son Jake played on a team with 
Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Brendan Lemieux would have been on that team as well. So uh, we'll use that jump-off point to talk about Matthews and DeBrusque with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts, both the blog and the podcast. Hello, Fridge. Good afternoon and good morning if you're in Western Canada. Very nice. Always nice. A tip of the hat to Calgary and Vancouver tuning in as usual. Uh, before I get to, to Matthews and the two goals last night, Maddie and I just riffing off the top about what was really, first of all, a great game between the Boston Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers. Like that one was just flat out a lot of fun. Uh, big comeback yep. uh, by the Edmonton Oilers are down by three, and that's awesome. And then the overtime and Charlie McAvoy, we'll see what happens with Matt Grizzlick here. But um, like a flat out fun game. I want to get to the DeBrusque interplay for a second. But as far as the game goes, if I said to you, Elliot, you could have seven of those in June, what would you say? I would take it. Uh, the, the skill, too, like some of the – like McAvoy, obviously, on the winner. Uh, Posternock had a glorious chance, too, where he kind of undressed everybody and hit the side of the net. Um, there was – you know, it, it's it's very rare when you see a game that Connor McDavid is playing in when the highlight reel plays aren't mostly him, right? Like there was a lot yeah. that happened in, in that game last night. It was It was great hockey. Uh, when it was 4-1, I thought it was over. I didn't think the Oilers were going to get it into overtime. And then when it was 5-4, I didn't think they were going to get it into overtime. But I think there'll be some plays yeah. from that overtime last night, like in particular the icing. You know, they could have, uh, at the end of the game, they could have uh, potentially nullified that icing. I think there's some sloppiness there that they'll regret, but it was a great game. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the DeBrusque interplay by the boards as well. Jake with the goal and the assist, uh, cashes in the golden tickets. Uh, so no 30 push-ups for him. Like, I just love it. I, I, and I, don't even, I don't even think you need to be a hockey dad or a hockey family to love that. I just think you need to be a hockey fan. Like, I loved, you know, Ray Ferraro and Landon um, back a, a few years ago as well. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for this kind of stuff. But give that to me, uh, you know, more times than not, Fridge. I don't think you're a sucker. I think most people really like to see it. It's not the first time they've poked fun at each other in a pregame interview. I think the audience really likes it. But as someone who has to do 153 push-ups today, I think Jake should just suck it up and do the 30 <laughs> anyway. Okay, so for the uninitiated, Second Elliot last and I are doing the February 2000 push-up. I know you go. So what's your last day going to be? We're doing the 2000 push-ups in February, Elliot and I, and I'm doing it with my 12-year-old. So we're Elliot, Brody and I are just doing 80s consistently every day, but you're following the app. So how many did you do today? Well, it's 153. I'm not finished yet. I've done them in stages. So okay. I still have some more to do. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, am then? The, I am the epitome of a chiseled male specimen, but I cannot do 153 push-ups in a row. Um, and I, no, now, you're, uh, I did you're... the math. I think tomorrow is 173. Oof. You are uh, just torn up like a bad report card, and the rest of us are all just a bunch of melting candles. Is that what you're saying, Elliot, That's with right. all these push-ups now? Yes. Worship right, well my done. fitness. Well done. Yes. <laughs> uh, worship Austin Matthews and two goals last night, 50 and 51. Um, the first one, like the first one I thought was real smart for a couple of reasons. One, um, he's looking away as he takes the shot. Like, 
you might look at that and say Vimelka's got to have it, but everybody on the ice at that moment is believing that Matthews is passing that puck. And he's already set it up with one pass from that same spot, and he's looking off like he's going to pass again and then just wires it, worm burner along the ice, and it beats Vimelka. Second one just goes off his shoulder, uh, just like they drew up in warm-up, or just like they drew up in yeah. practice. Your your thoughts on Austin Matthews last night, and your thoughts on just, and you've talked a lot about him recently, you know, if he hits 70 or 75, it's automatic for the Hart Trophy. Like, what are we seeing here? Give us some perspective on this one. Um, well, I, I think there's, I mean, we're seeing the fastest guy to 50 goals in 30 years. That's number one. We're seeing the, yeah. uh, uh, but, but the, to me, it's, it's all the debate starting. It's, you know, right now, Ovechkin's what, 58 behind Gretzky. Um, you know, Ovechkin's going to catch Gretzky. And then people are going to start talking about the think pieces will start. When will Matthews catch Ovechkin? And, um, but I think there's the other thing too. You're starting to see the debates is Matthews is he the best American player ever? You'll start to see the debates like he's not he's within striking distance to Sundin for Toronto's biggest totals. Um, you know the the question's going to become is he going to go down to the greatest Leaf ever? Now I, I think there needs to be a, a few more playoff wins there. That's a team thing as opposed to an individual thing, but I think that matters. Um, but he's going to be in that conversation. And, um, you know, there were there were a lot of things last night. Like, as you know, like, I like to wager friendly. I'm not a big app betting wager guy. But I would have bet everything I owned last night that he was getting 50 in, in Arizona. And oh, the yeah. wild thing was about it is he almost scored uh, beforehand. And uh, it looked like, I said in the intermission, it looked like the game was at Coca-Cola Coliseum. Like, did you see all the Leaf fans yeah. behind that net there? They they went crazy we when they thought him. he almost scored. Yeah, you could hear them. You know, the, the, you, you could hear them as soon, as soon as Matthews got the 50. And, yeah, you're right. Now, listen, we all understand, like, how they have to shoot the games there because it's not exactly a standard NHL-sized arena, uh, so the shots yeah. are very low. But you're right, like, right behind the net. Like, it's just a, uh, an absolute wall of, uh, of of blue and white fans, like and and you heard it on all the on all the goals too. Like that was it 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 felt like and sounded like a Maple Leafs home game. It did. It absolutely did. Now the point you were making about the goal, like it's it's a brilliant brilliant goal, and as you oh, said, yes it is. And I and I think it's and I think that goal is a reason. Like like the save percentages in the NHL are headed to a low on average in, in quite some time. And, you know, for a long time, Jeff, the, the, the goalies were ahead of the shooters. The equipment got bigger. The goalies got bigger. Um, the shooters had a tough time catching up. I think that has yeah. changed now. And I think now the shooters, now that, you know, with Kay Whitmore and, and under his lead, they've kind of, on the technology a bit um, for the goaltending. I think we're at a spot now where the shooters have surpassed the goalies. And now the goalies uh, have yeah. to adjust. And that's, um, you know, and I think Matthew's goal was, uh, was, a, was a perfect example of that. Um, that um, that it's, it shows you where things have changed. And now... It's like, uh, like you know what they say in Star Wars, the, the Jedi has surpassed the Master. The, um, 
the uh, shooters <laughs> have surpassed the goalie. Yes. I like yeah, I like using examples from uh, from Kung Fu, which is always, once you snatch the pebble, grasshopper, only then may you leave the temple. Well, the shooters have that's, left that's the, the temple. That's the second time you've done it this week. The grasshopper. That's I the love using time that you've example. I Kung love using it this week. Yeah. Uh, big David, big David Carradine fan. Big David Carradine fan. Um, you know what's interesting? Hearing you talk about this, so I had a conversation um, with a, with another hockey dad at the rink about this the other day. You know what conversation has completely vanished? Like we don't have it anymore. And once upon a time, this was the biggest thing in hockey. This was like Make we have to come bigger? up with a solution to this. Make the next bigger or the equipment smaller. When's the last time you had a conversation about that? I'm guessing it's been years. Because you know why? Elaine Vigneault said it best. Elaine Vigneault, flat out, when he was talked about, did they need to make the nets bigger, juice the goal scoring, equipment smaller? Look at these goaltenders. He said, if you want more goals, the the shooters have to shoot better. And he was right. Like, in that simplicity, Elaine Vigneault was 100% right. Now everybody's got shooting coaches. Now everyone's all involved in in coaching as well with with pre-shot movement and slot line passes, etc. Like, we always believe that you can't teach touch. Well, yes, you can, and you can teach offense. All of a sudden now, you know, we laugh when we look back and say like, oh, remember the Larry Quinn nets that were brought out? And ha, 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 who thought that? Or the, the bubble nets that were rounded at the corners, Elliot? We laugh about that now and say, what were we thinking? All the NHL needed was better shooters, and now they have them. Yeah, now they definitely have them. There's no question about that. that you know, it's a good way of looking at it. I, you know, I, I think the thing is, too, is, you know, and we mentioned Kay Whitmore's name. This is something he worked at for a long time. And I know Ryan Miller mm-hmm. was one of those guys that um, was really involved in it, too. It was the equipment about, it was also not just necessarily making the equipment smaller for goalies, but making sure it was form-fitting. Like, I think they understood, and this is how we got here, they understood that, you know, if a goalie's six foot five or a goalie's six foot one, it's different. You can't say, you can't make it uniform. But what you can do is yep. you can say, we can make it fit your body. And obviously, with 2020 hindsight, that was the solution that worked best. And look, like I... Yeah. You know, like one thing that happens, Jeff, is that offense sells. You know, it, it, we all like tough yeah. games, but offense sells. And uh, uh, like the NFL's realized it. Um, all the other leagues have realized it. And, you know, we had to realize it, too. And I give credit to this generation of players. The things that they can do are are really incredible. But the difference in now is, Jeff, is that, they're actually using it functionally in games. Like, it used to be you just did that stuff in practice. You never did it during games. Like, Marner had a pass yeah. last night. You could never accuse him of hot-dogging. Yeah. It was the it was the right <laughs> play to make, and and that's the difference now. The between the legs. I remember the Memorial yeah. Cup when um, uh, Max Domi passed to Bo Horvat in the game against Portland, and Seth Jones was the defenseman, and we all went like, whoa, cool junior hockey move, dude, but don't do that in the NHL. You can recall Pat Quinn just hammering Kyle Wellwood for trying a between-the-legs shot and not no, no hot-dogging like this in the NHL. Like, it's come a long way, and you're right. Like, now this is... 
this is functional. Like, there's a time and place to do even something like the Michigan. I'm personally more in favor. Like, I love the fake Michigans that you see now around, like, college hockey or high school hockey. I'm dying to see one at the NHL level. To me, the fake Michigan, because it involves a team concept, is more impressive than the Michigan itself. But nonetheless, like, all these tactics, you're right, they were just used for practice. You use them for games now. And I just think it makes for a much, much more dynamic, uh, much more dynamic product uh, in the NHL. Okay. A couple of things. A couple of things I want to get to from your latest blog. Thirty-two thoughts available right now at Sportsnet.ca. And the lead is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you know, Kyle Dubas talking about you know the opportunities to do something. Uh, they haven't been there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Jake Gensel is the touch point here. I think Riley Smith is an interesting name there as well. And you threw Florida out there. I do wonder about a return to Vegas for Riley Smith, but we shall see. Um, where is Elliot Friedman at Thursday, February twenty-second, just after? 12:15 Eastern on the Penguins. Well, I, I thought Dubis was uh, his media conference yesterday. I thought was really interesting. Uh, you know, you watch it and then you kind of watch it again, and sometimes you pick up things you miss. And like I think, I think he really spelt it out. Um, uh, I, like some, like, like Gensel was the headline. I understand why everybody leeches on to Gensel because he's the big name and he's yep. the best name available. But I, I really thought. If you if you dug deep into some of Dubis's other answers, I, I really thought there was some interesting stuff there. Number one, like when he was GM here, there were times like I would call him and say, like your team's going really badly. Are you thinking about anything here? And he would just say, I, I don't believe in trades for the sake of it. I, I don't like that. And you know, basically yesterday he was asked the question flat out, and he said, Yeah, I've considered it here. And the one thing that's very clear to me is that, you know, in Toronto, he had a team that was always going up. Um, you know, like this Leaf uh, group got together. They made the playoffs for the first time in, I think it was 2018 against Washington. Um, and it was, it was always onward and upward. Like, you know, the, the Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, Leafs, they're always moving forward. For the first, and that was all about it. It was all about moving forward and winning. For the first time since Dubas has been a GM, he's got a team that wants to win, but may not be, but may not be good enough to win. But that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that are are interesting to me here. Number one is that. The, the fact that he, number one, he mentioned all four of them as the core. Like, he took pains every time yeah. he mentioned Crosby, Malkin, Latang. He made sure to mention Carlson. Like, that's no accident. Yeah. He was doing that on purpose. That's number one. Number two, he said, my commitment to them and to the fans, too, is that we are going, like, we are going to try to win with these guys while I build up around them. And he said, look, I tried, he talked about the respect they've earned, and that's why he talked about making a trade over the last couple of weeks, but he just hasn't been able to do it. So the number one thing I look mm-hmm. at, Jeff, is Dubas is managing the Penguins differently. His mandate is to do it differently than the Maple Leafs. That's number one. Number two, um, unless I'm really reading this wrong, it left me with the impression that Crosby's not going anywhere, that he's fully versed in this, and that they're going for it with him. And I wouldn't be surprised. The more I think about it, the more I wouldn't be surprised if 
if they extend him right on July 1st because um, he's eligible for an extension on July 1st. And the Com- other thing, Jeff, is I've got to figure out what the, what they're doing here with Gensel because, like, after watching it and talking about it with a couple of people, there's really the case for them to do two things. Number one, say that Gensel's the best player available and we've got a better chance to win than without him. But number two, um, if they do want to stock up on some young pieces, there's no better option. And I think teams... I spoke to teams who believe that they will still sign Gensel, and I've, I've spoken to teams who believe that they will allow other teams to talk to Gensel because it increases their return. So uh, we'll see where this goes here, but it's very different that this is a. It's very obvious this is a different animal for Dubis than what he was previously dealing with mm-hmm. in Toronto. You know, the the Crosby question is a fascinating one, too. Like, I, I'm with you on this one. I think that uh, if they can, and if they can they can get there on the, on, on the price tag and the term, that they do them on July 1st. And maybe those conversations have already been had, and now they're just waiting for the formality of the 1st of July. Don't know. But uh, I think that the last thing that they want is the Crosby question following everybody around in the offseason, and the Crosby question in training camp, and the Crosby question uh, starting off next season. Listen, you know Dubas. I know Dubas. We all have a, a, a sense of, of where Crosby's at. I'm with you on July 1st, about a billion, as you like to say, a, 11 billion percent. How about that? That's the Elliot Friedman line. The, the question that I have, though, is not so much from the Pittsburgh point of view, because you can understand, obviously, the value of Crosby on the ice uh, and the value of Crosby for you know the the next generation of Pittsburgh Penguins players, and we think back to Crosby's rookie season, and Mario is there, and Recky is there, and Leclerc is there, and they tried to you know surround him with as many good veterans as they could, and now it's yeah. almost as if Crosby's in that spot or getting close to that spot to being that veteran around what the next generation of Penguins is going to look like, and I I, I really do wonder. If he like how he feels about not being on a team because listen, if they don't make the playoffs, this is another season where the Penguins don't make the playoffs. Quite bluntly, um, does he want that to be his career ender? I don't you know, know the answer I, to that. I, I, look, you talk about how the Penguins don't want that following them around next year. I can tell you one person who would like that even less than the Penguins. And that's the guy who we'd all be talking about. Like Crosby wouldn't want that following around all of next year. Um, Look, I I don't think it's easy. Like, you know how competitive he is. um, And you know how much he wants to win. You know, like, the one thing that really stood out for me the other night is when Pellet scored that overtime winner, did you, like, I can't find it online. For some reason, the, the way the clips were online, they didn't really stay with the reaction. But I was watching it live, and I can't remember if I was watching the, the, which feed I was watching online. But, um, like, the, the look on Crosby's face and his reaction after that puck went in, like, you don't see, like, I understand it because you're competing as hard as he competes and you lose that game like that, you're, you're crushed. But I, you just don't see it from him very much, the reaction that he had. Uh, on that play and it just shows you how much he still cares but again like i like i just find it really hard to believe that dubas doesn't go out there and present everything that he presents yesterday without crosby understanding and buying in like he came out and said look our commitment is to go for it while i build around them like 
I got to think that he's got, I mean, I, like I could always be wrong. I've been wrong before, but it just strikes me as being odd that that would be the Penguins position of where they're going without Crosby's tacit approval. You know, the other thing too, Jeff, that he said yeah. that was really interesting to this is that, um, you know, they, some of their young players, if they could, like young players or prospects, he doesn't want to deal his draft capital, but his right. young players and prospects, if he can get a young player who's slightly ahead of them, and that says to me someone with team control who's, you know, maybe like a 23 or 24 year old instead of a 20 or 21 year old, they're, they're going to mm-hmm. do that. And that's what Dubis is looking to do. You know, Riley Smith, uh, um, and you put this yes. thought in my head, by the way. Um, you've been talking about uh, Riley about Florida needing a left winger. You know, like it's uh, it, it like there's a fit there. So I I kind of wonder yep. about that. I wonder about Vegas too, uh, with with Riley yeah. Smith. And an interesting an interesting note. Like I I I love your you know oh this is just me kicking around this idea you know shooting the breeze going for a walk. And I don't know how they would do it either, Elliot, or what it would look like. But it is juicy just to, on a Thursday afternoon, think about Eric Carlson back to Ottawa. Well, look, like like we said, uh, like Dubas took pains to point to mention Carlson in the same sentence as Crosby, Letang, and Malkin. Like every time he did it, he mentioned Carlson. So, uh, and like he, Dubas does nothing by accident. Like that's. That's oh, that's, that's true. There. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, like he did. He does yep. that for a reason. But you know, like I'll be honest. Like it's, um, you know, I was looking for you know in that position. Um, uh, you know, it would take a lot. Like you know, that's, you know, that's a big deal, and it would take a lot. And Ottawa would have to give up things and probably wouldn't like just to make it all work, but. Look, it's tough for me not to look at Alfredson and think, you know, now it would probably mean Alfredson had to stay behind the bench next year. Uh, I, that's what someone said to me this morning. That's one thing they pointed out is, hmm. is he want to commit to a full season as assistant coach. Um, but, and would the new coach want that? Um, so that's a fair question. But, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I look at Alfredson. I know how much he thinks about Carlson. Uh, uh, how highly he thinks about Carlson. I know how highly Carlson thinks about Alfredson. Yeah. I know there's a little bit of, like, the, from the moment Alfred uh, uh, Carlson was traded, there were people in Ottawa who said to me, like, this is not over. Like, there will be a day when this happens again. And so I've always thought about mm. that. Like, it's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Um, but, sure. you know, the other thing, too, is, like, I got to think if you're Pittsburgh – and you really are looking to, you know, maybe get a little bit younger or create some flexibility, um, you know, that could do it. That is one way. Uh, a couple of things real quick. Pavel Bushnevich, St. Louis Blues, uh, the price would be high, but your thoughts on him? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I just think you have to understand the way that Doug Armstrong does business. He's like a lot of GMs. Um, I think that's kind of the way he does things. You can talk to me. Like apparently, one of his lines is, "You can ask, but you won't like the price." 
And uh, I kind of think that <laughs> that's what someone told me this morning. One of his lines is, you can yeah. ask, but you may not like the price. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, was, uh, so I think that's kind of what it is. I think, like, I believe, like, Buchnevich is a really good player. I, I believe people have asked about him. And I think that's kind of the answer sure. I got was, you can ask, but you might not like the price. All right, um, let's wrap it up with uh, with this one here. We've already talked about you know uh, a couple of the heavyweight teams. We talked about Pittsburgh, maybe the most intriguing team around trade deadline, complicating deadline always. And you mentioned Jake Gensel and the injury that carries on past March the eighth. Yeah. Um, but whether it's Victor Arvidsson, whether it's Mark Stone, whether it's Nick Dowd. Uh, as well with the Washington Capitals, who's an intriguing player come trade deadline time. Uh, there's a lot of question marks out there about uh, the health of a lot of people, how it could affect either trade deadline. Um, in Mark Stone's case, could it free up some uh, some space for Kelly McCrimmon to, to maneuver and the subsequent conversations that will fall from that again? Uh, do we have one of those here-we-go-again situations with the uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, uh, of, of the of the injuries, which one? Do you, which ones do you think could be most impactful for trade deadline? Well, Stone's the Either best. Directly player. or indirectly? Yeah, Stone's the best yes. player. Uh, so you have to say him. And uh, you know, this whole thing, like, like I know Vegas put Eichel on LTIR the other day. I, that's more of a paper yes. move. Like someone sent me. I guess Kelly McCrimmon was on a podcast with uh, with Jimmy Murphy yesterday, and he's and like I heard mm. Stone's out a while, but Eichel is still on track. And that's what McCrimmon uh, said on the pod. And not only that, but he said Carrier is on track, too. So he's getting close, which I wasn't aware of. And he's a really important player for them, too. But, um, you know, uh, to me, that Eichel thing was a paper move to help get Theodore back on the roster. Um, but I yes. still believe that Eichel is a week or two away. Like, I was always told end of February, uh, beginning of March, and nothing McCrimmon said on that podcast Makes me think it's changed. Carrier is close too, you know. St- um, Arvidsson, I heard they're getting testing done on him. I think we said last night, week to week, that kind of lines up. Dow didn't sound so bad. He won't go to Florida. They're playing Tampa tonight in Florida on Saturday. He's not on that trip, so but it doesn't sound too bad. But to me, obviously, the big one is Stone. Now, Arvidsson's been very good for the yeah. Kings. It's tough for them to lose him, but. Stone's the best player we're talking about here. And, yes, um, you know, if he's out for a certain amount of time, look, by the time the trade deadline comes, we're going to have five weeks left in the season. So, you know, we're already we're two mm-hmm. months away from the playoffs. If that's it, you know what? I know people are going to complain about Vegas. But, Jeff, you know one thing and I know one thing. Every GM would do it <laughs> if they could. <laughs> People are complaining about Vegas. This is a recording. Uh, Elliot, real quick. Um, yesterday, I pretty much did the the entire, uh, uh, the lion's share of the show just about the Quentin Byfield goal that we saw a couple of nights ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, like, okay, it looks like there's some Lindros in that play. It looks like there's some Forsberg in that play. Uh, it looks like there's uh, some Matt Sundin in that play. It looks like there's some Cam Neely in that play. Yeah. When you saw the byfield some yager in that play like when you look at the goal and i'm sure you like me you've gone back and you've watched it at least a dozen times like 
it's I, I keep coming back to this idea that you know it reminds me of a lot of different hockey players all pooled into one. And yeah. I'm not saying that Byfield is going to turn into any one of these players, but did it make you think of other players who have done things similar that sort of reminded you of of Byfield doing that? Because to me, it was sort of a combination of a lot of different players all in one. Rick Nash, well, another one with, playing with the puck in his feet. For me, the standard play always is the one that I still always remember seeing live and saying, "Holy smokes! I can't re- I can't believe what I just saw." Was Mario Lemieux on Ray Bork? Like, like, like sure, Ray oh, yeah. Bork is one of the best defensemen ever to play the game, and Mario Lemieux like completely undressed him, completely undressed him, yeah. and like Zach Wierenski, he's a he's a really good player, and you know he didn't go oh, yeah. back through three times like Lemieux did to Bork. But that's kind of what that reminded me of. Like, just a great player undressing another great player. Now, I wouldn't say Byfield Wierenski are comparable to Lemieux and Bork, but it's the kind of idea that I think of. <laughs> so that, that's what it reminds gotcha. me of. Like, Byfield, to me, like, it's, it's like, I have to tell, like, the guy, I think, the other guy I thought about, and this is completely different, but the, guy, the other guy I thought about when, when I saw Byfield the other night, was Trevor Zegers. And, you know, there's a lot of talk hmm. about what Anaheim's doing here. Quinton Byfield yeah. is a perfect example of why, and you talk about this uh, uh, a lot, never give up on a young player until you're sure. Because nope. yeah. it would have been Paul. really easy for, for L.A. to give up on him. And now look yep. at what we've got here. Like, Ron's talking about him for Team Canada next year at the World Cup, and he's not wrong. So... Like that's mm-hmm. that's the reminder of when you have young players, you better be patient. You better be. Uh, that's an old riff on Sam Pollock who said, uh, never give up on a young player until you're 100% sure. If you're 99% sure, don't do it. You need to be 100. Uh, okay, great stuff, Fridge. Great blog. Available at uh, sportsnet.ca. Elliot Friedman's latest 32 thoughts. Thanks as always, Fridge. Chat soon.